The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. My guest for this episode is a Juno Award-winning artist and a radio host. My first residency with Manitoba Music in 2018, I went there and I didn't know anybody except Leela Gilday, and I left with, like, best friends forever. I remember leaving that place and being like, I just felt that's something that other people have felt their entire lives. I just, all of a sudden, it was like I understood who I was in a way that I'd never understood before. And I was 38 years old. You're going to make me cry right now. I'm trying not to. (laughs) Like, it was honestly, in a way, it makes me so sad that it took that long to feel that. But God, did it ever change my life. You are my first musician guest on this podcast, which I think is going to throw people off knowing that I work, you know, very heavily in music. Hi. (laughs) Joining me from Edmonton, Alberta, where the record that won her Juno last year was written. Is that right? That's right. Stories from a downtown apartment. Kaylee Cardinal, how are you? I am really good. I just had the most sleep I've had in like weeks. So I'm feeling amazing right now. I was getting about four or five hours sleep per night. I was waking up at like four to five o'clock in the morning to like start working. And also being in Alberta and working with folks who are in Ontario means that I'm behind. If I wake up at eight o'clock, it's already 10 o'clock in the morning for you. So I felt like I was kind of trying to keep up, but uh, yeah, I uh, just had like 10 hours of sleep and it was amazing and I feel great. Uh, By the way, I have to say, I listened to um, Ahead by Century, your version this morning. What an amazing take on a song everyone knows. I love it. Thank you. It's like, it's kind of the brainchild of James, who is the producer. Yeah. Um, because I, I mean, when I, when I sent him a demo of it, it was qu- like me playing piano, sort of like ballady. And he was like, but let's not do that. Let's, you know, <laughs> make it a little bit more upbeat. And I was like, okay. And then we just sure. built this song from like, different everybody sort of just sending pieces in and yeah it was really cool okay so we're kind of you know in this standstill of the music industry right now um you have managed to release a little music and we'll talk about that but you've also been hosting a radio show filling in on another radio show tell me about all your things right now what's like a week look like for kaylee cardinal oh a week for me well it's been ever-changing because there's been there's been a lot of um I've been really fortunate. I've been I've been really busy. I've actually so far this year has been probably the best year of my career. Like Amazing. I've been so busy. Um, I'm doing a lot of pre-records. So between uh, I would say there's like anywhere from two to four pre-records for festivals that I'm doing a month, um, which involves maybe some slight travel to like Calgary or to uh, other parts in Southern Alberta. We've gone to Manitoba a few times and and done a couple of performances in Winnipeg too. Um, But it's always very like, we go there, we perform and then we leave. We don't really get to hang out. You know, it's very, it's, it's very COVID friendly. Um, So it's not, it doesn't feel the same, but, uh, but yeah, so I've been doing a lot of that. I've also had a little secret project that I can't talk about yet but I'm so excited about and it's huge um that I've been working on I was working on pretty steady for about a month and uh yeah so I have a weekly radio show at CKUA in Edmonton and then I've been filling in uh at CBC Edmonton for a show that's all Alberta musicians um and uh 
that is wrapping up now and it's time for me to start writing some music. So I was actually talking to my producer yesterday about how like my schedule has been so busy. It's time for me to like clear space and like declutter my schedule. I need to declutter my home. I'm so glad you can't see all of it. <laughs> um, but I need to, I just, yeah, generally need to declutter. And I'm like, I'm just really excited to, uh, to start writing music and to make space for doing that. So this pace that I've been going at for a little while, it's been pretty wild, but I'm going to take a break. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been a musician since what year? When did it, when did you start? Uh, okay. So I started playing in bars, uh, in 1999. <laughs> so here we are like 20 years later and yeah. you just had the biggest, you know, career year of your yeah. life. You know, yeah. you won the Juno, uh, for the indigenous album of the year last year. And I think, you know, I, I hate talking about the indigenous music category and we could probably spend an entire episode on just that. Uh, but I think that did help you, um, get a little more attention on your music, if anything, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I mean, it was, you know, we didn't get to have the award ceremony. I didn't get to do it the way that it's normally done. And there's pros and cons with that. There's pros and cons with every situation. But like when I was sitting in Saskatoon waiting for the awards to start, um, I was so anxious. I was so nervous. Uh, I like, I'm a pretty introverted person, honestly. So this whole event was going to be so huge and really, you know, push me past my comfort zone. So there was like this tiny bit of relief when it was all canceled. Yeah. And uh, the really cool part was that I got to accept the award or find out that I won the award when I had just my family around me. It I was saw really that. Beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that was really that that worked out just fine for me and it did really open doors during a time when a lot of people weren't getting work so that's why it kind of you know I have a lot of gratitude for that because it could have been a really really quiet year for me yeah. but it wasn't it, it ended up being busy because of it so what do you think it was about that record stories from a downtown apartment that uh, made this all happen that's a great question. I remember <laughs> we, I was coming back from New Orleans from Folk Alliance. Uh, Where I met you. Yeah, and that was the day before um, the announcements for the nominations were gonna be made. I was sitting on the plane and I sat and listened to my whole album and I was like, you know what? I'm happy with this album. It said what I needed it to say. It totally expressed how I was feeling in that time. And if it doesn't get a nomination, I'm totally okay with it. And I just like let myself be at peace because I was anxious, you know, this thing, it could happen, this thing I've always dreamed of. And uh, and that, yeah, that's just like, that's a really anxious thing. And, um, and once I kind of made that peace with it and the next day I actually got the nomination, it just made, it was so validating, first of all, like so validating. And I have been doing this for a really long time. Yeah. And like a, a reason, a big part of why it's taken so long is because when I was 23, I had a son and I've been a single parent for the duration of his life. And so I couldn't pursue music full-time when I had a baby or when I had a toddler, you know, all those years. So it wasn't until he was about 14 in 2016 uh, that I started pursuing music full on quit my day jobs and just did this and uh, and once I started to get busy that's when he had to go live with my mother but and the album I think what it was is that when I write I'm so literal I'm so honest I'm too honest sometimes I'm an oversharer and I think that there's a lot of 
there's a lot of things that people can see themselves in. In the song, I don't want to know you anymore. It's just saying, listen, like, I thought I, I thought I could be okay with this, but I can't. I can't even see you, you know? And I think that there's a lot of people that that resonates with. Oh, yeah. I think it was just, I think it was just because, because I was okay with, like, authentically telling my story. And I sing it very emotionally because I'm, I feel it. I still feel it. Yeah. So flip over to the radio house side of you. Mm -hmm. Um, wouldn't you say that that is the exact same thing that you look for in a song from someone else? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I have to feel it. There's a lot of things that like, that are markers for me when it comes to radio. Like there's one thing that I can't handle is if there's any sort of bad pitch in the song, I'm like, I can't, I just can't do it. You know, (laughs) there's, there's some no go spaces for me, but, uh, but we, we do, we do, uh, we make exceptions for that. Like there's songs where Neil Young, you know, it's not always like the most perfect sound, but you know that he's feeling it. And that took me a while to, uh, to really accept and to love uh, imperfections, you know, mm-hmm. um, but imperfections that have real feel behind them. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's the ticket. Yeah. So tell me about getting into radio. When did that happen for you? Uh, it, it basically just happened because uh, a senior producer at CKUA, I did an interview with a couple of hosts at this festival in Grand Prairie, I think it was back in 2017, and he just approached me after the interview, like a couple of weeks later and said, hey, would you be interested in putting in a demo? He just liked the way that I spoke in the interview. I feel and like basically- oh, this same conversation might have happened between you and I. About yeah. <laughs> you got a yeah. thing. You got a thing. I mean, I think, yeah, it's my, I think people like my talking voice, which in my head always sounds really high and annoying, but I think that's something that happens to all of us. Um, But yeah, so he just, he just got me to make a demo. I did. And it started off with me just sort of taking some fill-in shifts and kind of learning how to work the board. And, uh, and then after about a year, I was offered an hour to do my own show, whatever I wanted to do with it. And anything I said, you want. That's beautiful. Radio, that doesn't always happen. Yeah, it's lucky. This is like a, this is an Alberta wide radio station that is like donor and community supported. Um, so it's, you know, they, they can, they can break a few rules. It's not commercial. I love that. Um, and then, yeah, I said, well, it's got to be an all Indigenous hour. I need people to hear beyond what they think Indigenous music is. Yes. Okay, so now let's get into, you know, your profile as an Indigenous artist and the music that's inspired you growing up. Were there Indigenous artists that inspired you to get into music? There were not. Okay. And that's because there weren't very many ever. And there were so few that I actually ever saw. So growing up, my, uh, my father, who is Métis, he, he was actually brought up in foster care. And they were all white Christian homes. So he was never really taught anything about his culture. And he was, he had eight siblings. They were all separated. Mm -hmm. Uh, He didn't, he didn't have anybody to learn from. So it wasn't until I was older and I was kind of like, I I knew I was indigenous. And these were things that we kind of sort of touched on a little bit. And like, I definitely had to deal with the racism that came along with being indigenous living in like Northern Alberta, yeah. but without actually having any sort of culture or, um, you know, any identity in, in my heritage to sort of 
cling on to as a pillar to, to kind of help me through that, navigate through that. So what I ended up doing was it just ended up leading to a lot of like internalized shame and a lot of me sort of uh, negating it and kind of trying to ignore this part of myself. So as I got older, I, I started to realize that this was something that I needed to, that I needed to get to know. And when I was 19, I started working for the Grand Prairie Friendship Center as um, I was a speech assistant aide uh, at the preschool that they had. So I started learning Cree words along with these like three to five year olds. And so that's how much Cree I can speak, by the way. <laughs> and a few other words, you know. Um, but, uh, but that put me in a community for the first time in an indigenous community. And so it wasn't until I was, you know, 1920 that I started to kind of understand this and I'm still sort of without like my community my indigenous community is basically the Canadian indigenous community of, of musicians in Canada that's the place where I have found that I feel at home the most when I'm at things like the international indigenous summit that uh, Shoshona and Amanda usually head up and um just any of the residencies that I've done that Alan Gray Eyes or Manitoba Music have put on Jade Harper um it's, it's just within those sort of, those experiences that I actually, that's when I experienced the community, like the indigenous community. Right. So it, and also I grew up Christian too, so I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music. Oh so I, yeah, so I didn't discover Buffy St. Marie until I was older. And when I did, I mean, oh man, like, like, how did we not? <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and I also, felt that way too. When I first listened to Buffy, I was like, kind of crazy that I'm just learning about Buffy St. Marie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I actually, in 2008, I got a chance to open for her. Um, 2008. Yeah. Something like that. And, uh, and I mean, it was, it was so cool. And I remember I went up and played a couple of my, you know, sad songs <laughs> and then Buffy goes up and I think at the time, okay, she's, this was probably 2010. So I think that would make her like 70 at the time. Okay the most energy I've ever seen on stage in my life. And the songs are so upbeat. And I'm like, oh, why did I open like that? I had so much regret, but uh, you know, she's very sweet. I met her then. And then I met her a few years ago at the International Indigenous Summit again in Montreal, because she was one of the keynote speakers. And we were, I was in a group with her and a bunch of other indigenous musicians from across Canada. And I said, you know what? I actually opened for you back in 2010. And then everyone in that circle was like, I opened for you too. I opened for you too. And it was just like, it was just wild because she is somebody who um, not only like has, you know, trailblazed for indigenous uh, representation and like, and folk music and, um, you know, activism, like she's just a trailblazer in all the ways, but she also, it's indigenous artists get a chance to have more exposure because they open for her at her shows. She's helping us grow our own audiences too. I just think she's like amazing in so many ways. And now looking at her, I'm like, that's the kind of career that I want to have. That's mm -hmm. exactly what I want. I remember when I interviewed her, I think it was 2018. Um, yeah, it must've been 2018. She was putting out that new record with some of the reworked songs and I found it so interesting that, you know, when she's doing press to support her new project, she was talking about all these other up and coming emerging musicians. When I listened back to that audio, she's talking about like Tribe Called Red and mm. she was talking about Tanya and like, that's the kind of woman she is yeah. right there, right there. Yeah. yeah so you, you, you have the space and then you share it yes. and you use it. And that's exactly, that's all I care about doing now. 
Yeah, totally. So tell me about your all indigenous, uh, radio show. Uh, so it's, you know, it's ever changing. Um, each week I, uh, it's, it's a new playlist. I try to bring in as much new music as possible, but I'm constantly doing so much research to find new artists because there isn't really, there's not one place that you can find up and coming indigenous artists. I basically find artists through Instagram. Um, I take a look at other indigenous artists playlists on like Spotify or, um, Apple music. Like I'm just like, or the Indigenous Music Countdown is a place that I find new musicians all the time too. So I'm just like, I'm kind of doing like, you know, grassroots work to find artists, but um, it's basically one hour and it's uh, eclectic. It's an eclectic mix of all music from all over the world. I've featured um, Sami artists. I've done some, I did a, a Mexico show cool. and uh, yeah. And it's like, it's contemporary mostly, but there, I do bring in like traditional and um, you know, older, older music as well, like Willie Dunn and um, uh, Ernest Munias and, you know, just like lots of, uh, lots of, lots of variety but it's basically just it's a celebration of all types of indigenous music and i often get feedback that says uh i didn't even realize this was an indigenous hour or i didn't even realize that this person was indigenous you know so it's a, it's just like it's something that makes me feel really good and it also enhances my network too and lets me yeah. gives me uh, more people to kind of be in my community yeah. So not to get like too heavy here, but you know, I, I follow you on socials and you have bad days just like everyone else. And, you know, you do use the word shame I've noticed in mm -hmm. a lot of your, your posts and how you're feeling. So how do you work through those feelings that have come from racism growing up now? Well, uh, I am seeing a therapist that does help. I started seeing her, uh, it's all been during pandemic. So she's like my zoom therapist. <laughs> uh, but it's been amazing because she's actually, um, she's indigenous from Southern America. So she talks about spirituality and different things. It's very cool. So it's really great match me and my therapist. But I think a big part of it too, was just like, um, it's actually been so helpful being on social media and hearing other people's stories and also, and hearing what, um, other people's experiences are and and seeing myself in them like uh grace and grit and i have talked quite a bit uh we often we only see each other at like at festivals or at these big you know national events and i think we've both always been sort of floaters who didn't know where we belonged and that kind of that pulled us together and i i think about gray all the time i think about gray as like you know, almost a sibling in a way, somebody who totally understands my experience because they had such a similar experience. And I think that's kind of a big part of my healing is like making connections and friendships with people who have experienced the same thing and sort of normalize it. And I think also something that's happened is I've stepped into my power more. Once I realized that, um, that being indigenous is this beautiful thing and it looks like whatever it looks like to me and and I, this is me it kind of it changed the way it changed the way i felt it and the way i saw it and i also removed people from my life who were people who would evoke that kind of feeling in me too yeah so it was really just yeah a whole a whole bunch of things that kind of led to me sort of releasing the chains of that
It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Yeah. In working uh, in the Canadian music department at SiriusXM with our Indigenous channel, you know, it, there's been some uncomfortable moments and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that it's uncomfortable because I, I look at what, you know, people like you have gone through growing up and I'm just like, doesn't matter if I'm feeling uncomfortable. Doesn't matter. This is the work that needs to be done. So, you know, for example, being at the Indigenous Music Summit and the, the sharing circle um, at the beginning of the event where everyone's sort of like setting the tone for the event and why they're there. And I remember, I think it was um, Miss Panic, I think. I remember hearing Miss um, Panic talk about feeling othered within Indigenous communities, like yeah. not fully belonging. And that uncovered for me an entire new layer that mm-hmm. I didn't see. That's what is propelling me to do the work that I'm doing and making sure that we have more representation from all sorts of Indigenous communities in, uh, in what we do. So and that's also that's part of my inspiration for talking about my experience, too, of like of, of that feeling and how, um, you know, Indigenous experience, it's not the same for everybody. Um, and me growing up without it, I think that's that's a common thing because a lot of people were put into foster care or you know d- just were distanced from their culture because of you know religion or um, residential schools. I was going to say, of, let's not forget about residential schools. Yeah, yeah exactly. Why. <laughs> so that that forced yeah. people to not have anything to do with their culture. That that's where the shame started, and um, and I think talking about this what that has done to me has led me to this feeling of imposter syndrome, of not feel, fitting in with indigenous groups, indigenous people. So I think the more that I talk about that, the more people who are also feeling this will be able to like to, under, to see themselves in that and then maybe they'll reclaim their indigenous identity too and not have that same, you know, that feeling of like, no, I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. It's I'm not indigenous enough. It doesn't count. And uh, I think that's partially the Métis experience too, because the whole like half breed thing where uh, it, when Canada was first starting to be settled, Métis people being like driven out of uh, indigenous communities and out of white communities and kind of having to live on the side of the road and sort of break ground and, you know, yeah. So I think that's, that's kind of part of that experience too. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a big question and there's yeah. not a wrong answer. Okay. Uh, and I feel like you and I can have this conversation because of the, you know, the relationship that we've developed as a white person trying to do more of this work. How do we avoid tokenism? How do we avoid making someone feel like they're only getting that call or that opportunity because of that? Yeah. 
Great question. And I wouldn't have had an answer for this until recently, because when I started doing this uh, show on CBC, um, and it's all Alberta artists, so I have to find people of all genres, of all identities within one province to play on this show, which, I mean, the show is great, um, but it had, and it definitely like sought to have representation of at least one person of color per show, per hour. My shows have, um, at, you know, it's, it's not so much about a formula. It's about when I look at the playlist, do I see people represented? what I've done is develop my own library and I've continued to seek out, um, you know, different, different gender identifying people. I've sought out different people of different cultural backgrounds. And so it's not like I play one person of color and then maybe one, you know, gay dude or something. It's like, what can I do with this time? Who can I showcase? I have to do hours and hours of research to find these people, but it's worth it. And now I can just like, I have these people to pull from always. And it's, it's just really, I think it's about like continuing to um, not have just one. Cause I yes. feel like as an indigenous person, we have to, in a way, compete for one spot in one show all the time. And it, it shouldn't be that it should be, it should be about, you know, hosts developing their own library and seeking out people who have been underrepresented and working to represent them. So that if I'm playing, um, you know, uh, an Asian person on my one hour show, it's not because I've decided that I'm going to give one spot up. It's because I heard their music while I was doing all of this research and I loved it. And there's another Asian person. There's also this black person. I also have, you know, a trans man on my show as well as like a couple of native folks and, uh, and, you know, like three, three or four white people. It's really, it's not about numbers. It's about the development of your own library. Yeah, totally. So funny too, because like recently, you know, we started looking at how we're going to track our diversity in a big, mm. big company environment. Mm -hmm. And it felt so wrong going through the libraries and coding songs with what the little diversity factors are. And I got really down when they asked us to do that. I was like, mm. and I get it because we want to know where we were and where we are six months mm -hmm. from that point. I get it but it doesn't feel right to be coding people and humans like that. So I have a tough time with it. It's tough because it's, it's kind of, it's like a step that needs to be done. Similar to the indigenous Juno yeah. artist of the year. It's something that it, it's something that had to be there in order to get representation, but we need to continue to do the work and get past that so that we don't even need these things, but right. we're just not there yet. True. That's a very good point. And you know what, even with the, um, with the indigenous, you know, there's a huge conversation going on about contemporary indigenous music versus traditional um, mm -hmm. roots, powwow, you know, those things, if we don't pass along those stories from different generations, they go away. It's so mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about your most empowering experience as an indigenous radio host or artist. Hmm. Well, it might be the Juno. Yeah, well, that, I mean, once again, that was kind of a situation in which I felt like I was competing with my community for one spot. Mm. So it was like, I was 
grateful and stoked because I got a Juno because that's what I always dreamed about. But at the same time, you know, I got it instead of my pals because we all know each other. We're there's all like, like built in, there's a built in guilt and shame in that alone. There is because, because it's like, I, you know, this, I'm so happy I got this. I'm so happy I got this, but I got this instead of other people that I think deserve this as well. So that might not have been my most empowering moment, but it certainly was like one of my biggest dreams achieved ever. Um, but I think it, I think it honestly was my first uh, residency with Manitoba Music in 2018. Um, it was one week and I went there and I didn't know anybody except Leela Gilday. And I left with like best friends forever. Wolf Sega was there, Sebastian Gaskin, Lacey Hill, Desiree Dorian, um, Isla Barker was there. That's where I met Alan Gray Eyes. Um, there are just, there's so many more people. Uh, I know I'm forgetting names, but um, Jaylee Wolf was there. Sense of belonging is what you're saying. The first with? time ever in my life. I remember leaving that place and being like, I just felt that's something that other people have felt their entire lives. I just, all of a sudden, it was like I understood who I was in a way that I'd never understood before. And I was 38 years old. You're going to make me cry right now. I'm trying not to. <laughs> like it was honestly, and I, and I, in a way it makes me so sad that it took that long to feel that, but God, did it ever change my life? Yeah. And like yeah. helped you step into, you know, a, oh. a different sense of confidence too within your music. It, it changed, it changed me completely. It, and it, and it like thinking about it. And then anytime I get a chance to meet with these folks again, it's just like, it changes me every time. It just makes me stronger. It makes me better. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about a, a lesson, a big lesson, one of your tougher moments that you had to overcome. Oh, there's been so many. <laughs> Girl, I could go on for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I struggled with self-worth for so long. And I remember, I just, I never felt like I was good enough to do this. But at the same time, I had this, I've always wanted to be a singer. I started singing on stage when I was four years old. And from that point on, and it had a lot to do with like the fact that my mother also wanted me to be a singer. That that certainly pushed me towards it a little bit more. But it it truly feels like my calling. When I'm on stage, I connect with people in a way and I feel it. And there's an exchange of energy. And all I want to do is just like share love. My capacity for love is like, it's honestly, it's not even my own. It comes through the top of my head and it comes out through my body. It's a channel. It's a con like I'm a conduit for love. I feel that completely. Um, and it's something that I know I'm supposed to do. So it's something that that's carried me through having very little self-esteem, feeling like my body wasn't uh, good enough from a very young age, feeling like, um, you know, the stories that I had to tell aren't really worthwhile. They didn't fit in with this thing. They didn't fit in with this thing. So luckily I've had that sense of purpose that, that that's what's carried me through. Um, so I think one of the more difficult uh, challenges for me to overcome was taking leadership of my career. When I decided, okay, it's not about me needing a band. It's about 
me writing my songs, singing them the way that I want and hiring the people that I need. I always relied on having men. I always relied on having men around like uh, my guitarist or my bassist or somebody or my boyfriend. And it was like this very like codependent thing that I was doing all the time. And I always dated the musicians I was playing with. It just always happened. I couldn't help it. I spent all my time with them. And also it's just like, it was this need that I had. And when I finally said, this is about me, this isn't about anybody else. And I have to become a boss. And it was like when I stepped into that boss role and then all of a sudden I'm firing people and I have to have really tough conversations uh, and I have to start taking on all the work myself and it, the, all the responsibility for everything is mine. That was kind of like, that was my biggest hurdle because of those like underlying issues that I had. But at the same time, as soon as I started to do it, those underlying issues started to like go away. I started to empower myself. So it was like the most rewarding challenge to take on. Yeah, so and, tearing it up and, and putting it back together. Yeah, exactly. Lighting it on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do have an all male band right now, don't you? I do. Okay. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they're your band though. They're hired to tell your story and help with your, your art. Um, yeah. How, do, how does that look different than before in like a, a band practice, let's say? Uh, yeah, I think, so what it is, is there's a huge disproportionate number of male musicians to female musicians and non-binary musicians. And that's a huge bummer. Um, so what the people, the people that I'm working with right now are like, it's formed relationships through time. I have worked with uh, women before and I have loved working with them, but it was really when it comes to music and the type of music that, uh, that I'm creating, it's really just about the right person for that job. And there are people in my band that are staples in my band. And there are people in my band who I kind of hire, I can hire out whomever. Um, so my band isn't really a, a solid band. It's fluid, yeah. My, it is, yeah. My, my guitarist and my keyboardist are the, the two guys who travel with me as a, as a trio. Um, but yeah, it's, it is fluid. It really is. Like when we went to Germany, um, what, how long, what is time in 2019? Um, we, uh, we, MJ Dandino played with us and she was actually organizing a tour for me to play in Europe and she was going to be in my band for that tour as well. So yeah, it's, it's really just about who, who's available and who's exactly the right fit. Mm -hmm. Things I, I, would probably look different if I were in Ontario. True. I also mm -hmm. bet it's pretty empowering though, being the boss of all the dudes when they're, when they're hired. <laughs> I mean, I, I've always been, uh, I've always had leadership qualities yeah. for sure. Um, but it is, it is also really, what's been really great about working, especially with Brayden and Brennan, the guitarist and keyboard I work with is, um, it's been a, it's been quite a, a learning experience for them too. They've attended a lot of indigenous events with me. And they're they've, not indigenous, true. They're not indigenous, but they've learned a lot. We've also had a lot of conversations about, uh, I'll just give a little trigger warning. We've had a lot of conversations about like my sexual assault history and they are 
available and around. They like, they support me when I need support in certain situations that maybe feel unsafe to me. So like, it's just, it's just pretty wild, like how close the three of us have become because as I'm like traveling around the world and playing music, these, there are triggers or there's things that happen all the time. And if I didn't have these people with me supporting me, I'd feel pretty alone in it. So I just like, I feel pretty loyal to them because we've built this like amazing relationship where um, they can really support me in the way that I need. Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful thing that they're open to learning about all the indigenous stuff and all wow. the hardship. And yeah, I mean, they're both, they both were already like very, very open-minded, very liberal people. And they already had a lot of information, but they've seen a lot of things firsthand since working with me. And they've learned a lot from that. Yeah. Did, um, with your sexual assault history, did that mm-hmm. have anything to do with being in the spotlight? Um, no, actually it was all kind of previous to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. More recently things have sort of been coming to the surface. I'm really great at like compartmentalizing things and putting them away, but, uh, but yeah, definitely working through things. And it's, it's also, that's also been really empowering because I've, I've noted the way that I behave sometimes and, and I'm realizing I don't have to fold into myself in certain situations. I am safe. There's lots of stuff I'm learning. It's really great. I'm like, I'm better than I've ever been before. And I love it. Yeah. You don't hear everyone say that during a pandemic. It's I know. Very good news. I almost feel guilty saying that. Don't, you know? don't feel guilty. It's okay. You've had, you've had a, how, 20 years of trying to figure <laughs> yourself out. Let yourself have it, please. Yeah. 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 Come on. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given, uh, whether it was towards your music career or in radio or could be from a mom or dad, doesn't matter. The truth is the best piece of advice I ever got was when I worked. So I worked at Grand Prairie Friendship Center a couple of times. First time at the preschool. Second time I was the program director for three years. It was the longest I ever had a real job. (laughs) (laughs) My boss at the, at one time, She's since passed away, but she was a mentor to me. I loved her so much. She was kind of scary. She was like, she was kind of harsh. She had these long, scary nails and she's just a powerhouse of a woman. And she just knew her mind. And it was just like, who is this woman? You know, (laughs) she said to me, um, and I know this is a common phrase, but I'd never heard it before. She said, how do you eat an elephant? Kaylee. I had all this work I was doing. I was piled up. I was like, I can't do this. I was so overwhelmed. And I said, I don't know, Melody. And she said one bite at a time. And I have thought about that. I've thought about that every time that I have a whole pile of things in front of me and I'm just so overwhelmed. I can't even start. And I realized, yeah, yeah. Just one thing. Start with one thing. And, and that, that translates so well, whether you're talking about therapy and, you know, one, one thing at a time with therapy mm-hmm. or an album, one yes. song at a time, one song at a time. Like it could be anything. It can be like one project at a time. It could be like one minute at a time. It's whatever it needs to be, but it's, yeah, it's really, that's something that really stuck with me. Hmm. So part of this podcast uh, is to build a little bit of a community and I want there to be indigenous women in this community. Tell me three people you think need to come on this podcast and tell their stories. Hmm. I think Anaknid 
would be really interesting to talk to. I haven't met her yet, but I've listened to her music and, um, and I've read her bio. And from what I gather, the reason why I think she would be so interesting to talk to is because this is a, a woman who seems very empowered with um, not only like understanding and recognizing her ever-changing sort of like her her moods, her personality, and and being open to express herself completely and being authentically herself, her sexuality as well. I think it's really about like Anakinet is somebody who presents as you take me as I am and I am all things and that's okay. I feel like there's been lots of times in my life when I felt like I had to be one thing or be this thing in order for you know someone to like me or to be accepted. But I see Anakin as someone who's completely in their own power in all the ways. And I think a conversation with her would be so amazing. Cool. I think uh, GR Grit because they've been identified as female and they've been identified as male and I, I've seen something that Gray has written about it and how those experiences, like how that's kind of shaped them and also the awareness that they had of the treatment that they received as when they were different genders. I think Gray would be a great, great person to have on the podcast. And uh, the last person I think would be great to have on is Krista Couture. She is someone who is a musician. She is an author. She just released a book. I think she has a couple other ones. And the book is called How to Lose Everything. And it's all about grief. And uh, she has lost, I believe, two children. She also is queer and she has lost her leg. She's disabled. So, but she is releasing music. She's writing books. She just she has worked through all of this or is working through all of this. And I think that her story, like having, hearing that it would just be super empowering. And also the representation of like queer, indigenous and disabled people is so important. Yes. Oh my gosh. All three of these guests. I'm like, we got to line this up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds amazing. So what, did, what advice to wrap up here would you give your younger self? If I could talk to... 20 year old Kaylee, I think the first thing that I would actually any younger musician who is Métis, Indigenous, what empowered me the most was finding a community. And that is the first thing that I would do if I could go back in time. Find Indigenous people who empower me, who give me permission to understand and get to know this part of myself that, you know, now is just such a huge part of my purpose and has changed my reasons for playing music and for being out in the media. When I feel introverted, shy, uncomfortable, I remember that this is the reason why I'm doing this and I need to keep going. So I think it's really all about finding a community and a place that you feel home, that you can come back to and that empowers you. Well, I loved this episode so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was so nice to talk to you. You too. I guess we'll leave a little teaser that you're working on new music. And uh, when can we expect this announcement? I don't know. The secret project that I've been working on, I don't know when that's going to be announced. But I am releasing a new song on June 2nd. So that's coming out. I've linked to Kaylee's social accounts in the episode notes so you can keep up with her new releases or perhaps discover her music for the first time. Her voice is just so good. Thanks so much for listening to the new episode of the Women in Media podcast. 
You can keep up with new episodes and all that at Women in Media Pod on Instagram and Twitter or Facebook.com slash Women in Media Pod. I'm the host, Sarah Burke, and you can find me at Burke Talks if you'd like to follow along there too. Wherever you're listening to your podcasts, if you'd kindly hit subscribe, you'll get an alert when I've got a new episode out. And if you're really feeling it, well, hey, I will take a review wherever you're listening to. Until next episode, do hit the link in the episode notes to hear Kaylee Cardinal's take on the tragically hips ahead by a century. And thanks so much for being here. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's this luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.